This is the Plan Simple Podcast. The one for you, my dear, the woman who wears so many hats. We both know how many people in your life benefit when you're at your best. What would happen if you were to ditch overwhelm and wear all those hats with ease? I'm going to share how simple this can be. We will dive into how to make health, family, home, spirituality, productivity, and entrepreneurship more easeful. Incredible friends and guests will come by for inspirational conversations, valuable shares, and real strategies so you can plan for your best life. My name is Mia Moran. I'm a mother of three, a wife, an entrepreneur, a coach, and your host. I wear a lot of hats, and I am committed to leading a balanced life and sharing all that I have learned and am learning with you. You're ready? Let's flow. Hey, welcome to this episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. I'm so delighted to be here with you today. And we're going to talk about a topic which I've been wanting to come on and talk about for a while now, and that is motherhood. And one of the reasons that I really want to hop on and talk about this before you're like, oh my gosh, this isn't for me, I'm like already through it, is that I find that as our kids are teenagers and young adults and even adults, they still take up our time. And we have a lot of thoughts around the older they get, the less time they take. And it is true. Kids start to take less of our like physical time and attention, right? So in the early years, work-life balance is really about like the physical presence of being with your kids. And like you can actually see usually in a calendar the time that's taking. As our kids get older, it becomes more emotional. And we're not well-versed in understanding how much time our emotions take And really, I would say how much time they need to take. So a lot of us are just not even conscious that negative emotions are taking up time and really are behind the overwhelm that we're experiencing. And even when we start to really shift into this, the emotional exercises, let's say, or tools that will help us be in alignment here also take time. So That's why I'm kind of infatuated with talking about this now because I realized a couple years ago that I always say that what we do around here is we help women who are balancing all the things. And I define all the things as work. We largely serve entrepreneurs, but I say we serve any entrepreneurial woman. We definitely have people in corporate and in nonprofit sectors. And really, they're trying, though, to live into their purpose. So it's less about just going to work every day. And there's this aspect of really wanting to find their purpose. So they're balancing purpose and they're balancing usually something around their health or their bodies because as they come into their 40s and 50s and maybe even 60s, it's like, what is going on and how can I possibly have the space I need to take care of what's going on? And I used to just say motherhood and I realized that motherhood wasn't the word that actually my audience always identifies with. So yes, 
Much of our audience is mothers, but I feel like there's this point when our kids have like, maybe it's when they enter middle school, definitely high school, college, when they're graduated, like we're still mothers, but we might not identify with something we see that's for mothers, right? Because we associate that with the younger years. Does this make sense? So I wanted to come on and really talk about all the exploration I've been doing in just how to think about motherhood in the context of time and productivity. And I'm really excited about it. So I hope that you are too. So our teen years, and I would definitely even say like our kids' teen years, and I would say there are young adult years too. I don't go beyond that. My oldest is actually still a teenager, but he won't be for very long after I record this. So I'm still experiencing this right now with a young adult. So these years, they can be a struggle, they can be a disruption to what we think should be happening, and, or maybe even or, they can be the medicine we need to really connect to our kids and to our own purpose. Because usually, these humans that we live with, whether they're biological or not, I would guess, they're in our lives for certain reasons. And often they're teaching us very specific things (laughs) I have noticed. So a few years ago, my mentor and friend Reynolds and I created a container for a group of moms for five weeks. And in that time, Syl offered this definition of motherhood, which is allowing our kids to become themselves. I'm going to say that again definition of motherhood is allowing our kids to become themselves. And as we all know, because we've all been in our teens and our 20s and even our 30s, it's a process to really become yourself. And in fact, you might even identify with still being in that process. And I love this definition for really thinking about mothering kids of all ages. And it really helped me understand what would work and what wouldn't in the different stages. So I just want to reiterate or iterate, that our job is not to be perfect. Our kids grow as much from what we do right as what we do wrong. And so I have found that the openness to evolve has been the most helpful thing ever. The thing about evolving is if we keep bringing it back to this time thing, it takes some attention. I'm not saying it takes all day, but sometimes we have to do things that feel countercultural, right? So if we're trying to, I'm going to use go outside of motherhood right now, if we're trying to evolve into someone who eats really well, or, you know, takes really care of our body, or is an entrepreneur growing a business and really scaling a business, often we are going against the grain of those around us. And that can take energy. And I like to think about planning and time that really what we're thinking about is how we're using our energy versus our time. I think that takes us sort of to the next level because time, you know, it's very finite in a day. And I have seen how, you know, one person actually day to day can have something that they need to spend time on and it can take them one hour one day and seven hours another day. So we get better at reading our energy to know like which is the better day to do it on, but also from person to person. So it really is about energy and a little bit about knowledge and a lot about faith and all those coming together to really help us figure out how to best utilize how we're showing up. So 
One of the things that I believe that relates back to this idea of being open to evolve is that I really do believe, especially in the teen and young adult years, that the work is ours. And often we make it about our kids. So let me give you an example of this. Like, let's say that a kid is struggling in school, right? So we go all in to like find all these ways to fix it. We get angry at the school. We are frustrated with the teacher. All of this, by the way, takes energy and time. We're talking to all these people about it. You know, we're creating this whole case. And really what we're needing is to shift something inside of us so that we can really see what's going on, of which none of those people are going to do. We as mama bear have a much better chance at this. So I did a lot of work on parenting in the early years. And It led to a lot of work about family values, family meals, less stuff. I loved the work of Kim John Payne, who wrote the book called Simplicity Parenting. So if you're listening to this and you have, I mean, really any age kids, but definitely if you have young kids, this book led to having fewer toys and activities and very little media in the most beautiful and like my why for it was so strong from this book. So I highly recommend, (laughs) highly, highly recommend. If you get into his world, he also has things on later years and different circumstances, but that's just a really, really good starting point. And his work was actually the foundation for what became Plan Simple Meals. So basically there was like a page in Simplicity Parenting that talked about why and how family dinner was really important and some of the aspects of that. And that really expanded a lot because obviously it was just a page into a whole book that I wrote. And yeah, so it's just been really, really meaningful to me. So what I've noticed is it was simple in that way in the beginning. You know, what I did, I guess, it was simple. It wasn't easy. I want to say that. So following all the things in Simplicity Parenting was so simple. It was not always easy. Of course, we would end up in situations where we had these kids who didn't watch TV and TVs were on, or my kids would see something and really want it, or, you know, like whatever. And it was about holding a different kind of energy in our household. And of course, we were like, weren't diehard and shielded them from everything by any means. But it did take some boundaries. It took some boundary settings that were different than maybe what our next door neighbors were. We ended up finding amazing community so that we didn't feel so alone. But I just want to say that it's so simple, maybe not easy, as is everything I'm going to share today. So as our kids became tweens and then teens, what I noticed most is we were really together in the simplicity parenting years. Like it was really easy to come to an agreement. We understood what we were doing. And it got a little bit harder to agree on everything, like sort of naturally, as our kids got older. And what I started to notice is that we were both getting triggered in different ways, right? Because what ends up happening, I think, in those years is we can really see a mirror to a time that we remember. Because remember, our kids are here to teach us things, and somehow that's like really true in these teen years. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about one of my, so I have three kids, if you don't know that already. And one of my kids had a really hard time during the global pandemic, like really hard, hard enough that it disrupted our household. And I didn't know what to do. And I spent hours, like hours combing through therapists. And I sent daily emails to colleagues and friends who I thought might have good ideas. 
And I just kept coming up against one dead end after another. And I remember this day, or maybe it was a whole week, where I just totally surrendered. And I saw the gift that was in front of me. And it was this gift of not only helping her, but that together, and at that point, for sure, with my leadership, I would say she's on the other side for sure right now. And I would say she's leading it now. But I needed to be the leader to heal generations before us because what she was experiencing had been experienced before and generations after, including her sister, who's just three years younger than her. Like we got to be an example. And I really saw my responsibility in the situation. And I could see how all these phone calls that I was like annoyed about and making at nauseum and feeling really depleted about, they were taking a lot of time and a lot of energy. And they were also about me not taking responsibility. And so I saw that like the only way that I could tap into my like mama bear instinct, which I knew so well, right? We know so well when we have little kids and it's like, this is when they need to eat. And oh goodness, this looks like a new little bruise. I wonder what happened. Like these things are very intuitive when we're in those early years. And I think a big part of that is we've been naturally slowed down, right? If you think of the time that you're with your infant, it's like, you can barely think (laughs) because you're tired and you're foggy. And there's some piece of that that actually gives us so much wisdom. And so all of a sudden, it just became really clear that what I needed to create was basically that, which was presence. I was so present to my teeny tiny babies. And it's different and harder, maybe even, to be present in that way to a teenager, right? Especially one who's flailing a little bit and not necessarily wanting you present in that moment. And so what I'm going to get into is what I really learned from this situation. But as I was going through it, what I started to see was like, sometimes being present meant, in her case, that I would sit with her while she ate a meal. And sometimes that would take three hours. And I started to see the connection between me being okay with sitting there with her or me not being okay, right? And being really annoyed. And I started to see that if I could be okay, first of all, it usually didn't take three hours. I didn't need to sit with her for that long. But also I could see the connection to her own healing. So I started to see in that case that like, me taking the time to figure out what I needed to be like in the frustrating situation in order to not be frustrating was way more important than sometimes even being there. Does that make sense? So I would be there, but I needed to figure out how to fill the time to fill my cup. And I think often, even I say all the time, that thing about putting your oxygen mask on first, which I think is so important. And this was really it in action. Like I really saw how important this is in these years of teenage and young adults. So, you know, sometimes being present meant I got to dance with her. I got to sit with her. I got to hug her. Sometimes being present meant I had to learn how to hold my tongue, which is really hard. (laughs) You know, like when you want to step in and fix things, it actually takes much less time and energy to step in and just talk, say things, right? And sometimes presence had me walking out the door, as I said before, right? Because I needed to 
fill my cup. I needed to breathe. I needed to not be in it. And I needed to understand when that needed to happen. So can you see how these things are a different kind of time spent? And what I can say about it is, yes, it took time, you know, out of my day, obviously, to really be there in the way that I wanted to. And it was so aligned that everything else around it sort of fell into place in a different way. Like I was, because I learned how to not fight the fact that like, oh my gosh, there's so many things to be doing over here in the work area. Like I started to learn how to, I would say, truly be productive because to truly be productive, it's like you can get your work done in this amount of time. You can be here in this amount of time. You can take care of yourself in this amount of time, right? And so I learned so many lessons. You know, I'm just talking about this. I talked about it a little bit when I I was going through it. I talked about a lot to anyone who was a client and in our world. But I really today and then want to protect my kids, obviously. These are their stories. I also wanted to make sure that I really understood all the wisdom that was coming out of the situation for me. And as I, you know, started telling little pieces of the story, especially on our Flow 365 calls, I started to see that I wasn't the only one spending hours looking for tutors and therapists and all these things while not getting work done and sort of feeling like things were falling apart at home. And I wasn't the only one feeling like I wasn't taking care of my body because I was taking care of someone else, right? everyone was going through this, even with older kids, I would say almost especially with older kids. And I think that often we think that parenting teens is less intensive than parenting younger kids, but really things just shift. Our teens need us. They really need us, but they need us in different ways. Our role is still to allow our kids to become themselves And that really doesn't mean stepping back because in order to do that in a way that they feel safe, they need those sometimes clear boundaries and a clear sense of love supporting them as they go off and figure out who they are. And I feel like the world around us, including the most well-meaning and sometimes even very good schools, really want us to, you know, step back to parent from the outside. And I really think that this phase needs us to source from the inside. And so I wrote down everything I wanted to share with you today about like three ways that I think are really useful to think about how you're shifting your understanding about how you spend your time. If you're in this phase of having teenagers or young adults, or you're coming into it and you want to hear, I wrote down everything. And then we have an amazing person who helps me sometimes with my words, actually a lot of the times with my words. And she really helped me boil down what I feel like was a lot, way too many ideas into three key, she's like, a lot of this is the same. So into three key ideas. And these ideas are really what have helped me love being a mom of three teens, even when it's really hard. They're definitely still working all of these as I move into being the parent of a young adult. And They've also really helped me too, because I did the same thing that I was noticing around me, like step into really honoring the role of motherhood. Because I think that a lot of that outside energy is about like, okay, now you can go do your work. Now you can go take care of this. Now you can be in your relationship, you know, with your spouse in a different way. And 
I think you can do all those things. You can do work. You can be in a great relationship. You can do all the things and you're still a mother. And we just need to sort of get current on what that looks like, how we might spend time that's less doing. And it really is more in the being energy in this phase. And I adore and love and have so much fun like these pieces of our every Monday in Flow 365, we get together and we everybody talks. We have many calls on Mondays, so we keep it in small groups and everybody says what they're going to do for the week. And when a lot of times motherhood doesn't show up in those three things, but it generally affects at least one of the things we're doing. And it's really fun to go in and sort of understand that puzzle and understand how we're rethinking and changing things. All right, so fun. So these are the things, you ready? So the first key that really has helped me is understanding that my job, my real job is to listen. Kids want to be heard, obviously at all ages, but they still wanna be heard as teens. And so when your teen opens up to you, try to listen without jumping to conclusions, without judging them, or even trying to come up with a solution unless you're asked. So this is kind of a good philosophy at all ages, though younger kids wouldn't know to ask. And so you can do something different by asking for permission. But really listening is like, how do I zip my mouth and just listen and affirm and really see my kid? And it is so hard to listen without fixing. But what it does is it builds trust and it really encourages our kids to come to us in the future. So if we're listening and we're listening to anything and we're not frustrated, you know, they can really see us listening, then they'll come to us in the future. Now, I'm not saying, by the way, that whenever a kid comes and talks to you, you should listen if you're like in the middle of something, you know, you're like trying to concentrate because that's not what we want either. We may need to have some boundaries around when maybe you need to go fill up your cup in order to really be able to listen. Maybe you need to finish writing an email before you listen. So you might need to make some clear boundaries around it. But what goes down when you are listening, I think that's what's important. Okay. So one of the questions that comes up a lot, it's like, well, it's hard to listen or my kid won't talk to me. There's nothing to listen to, right? Or, you know, it's like, I can't not fix it or whatever. I can't like something's not working in this listening piece. And so one of the strategies that I think is really helpful is just to think of like, how can you listen? What are some good ways to listen? And I will say that this is different for each one of my three kids. So this really is an individual thing. So you could go for a walk with a kid, right? Being side by side is a really nice way to like take off the pressure. You know, it's sometimes a kid might not even feel like they're talking to you, but it's, you know, it can be a very close experience. A car ride can be similar if you're alone with a kid in the car. While cooking or doing other things around the house, I have one kid who, you know, doesn't talk a lot during the day, but oh my gosh, right before they're going to sleep, it's like when I come say goodnight, that's when they open up. And now, like, that's not such a thing at this age that I necessarily say goodnight every night because I usually fall asleep first. But at that time when they're knowing that that's where I am, it's still, it's like this habit of coming in and talking, right? So it's the kid who, when they were little, like always talked, you know, when they were after he was being read a story. And now it's still the time that he wants to talk to me. So just knowing this can really help you understand 
time and how you're going to interact, right? Because how easy is it to get frustrated when you're tired at night and don't want to listen, right? So you need to figure out how to get into a space where you can listen that makes sense. If you are going for a walk or driving, you obviously have to get yourself into that position. And sometimes it can just help us to look at different scenarios differently. Walking the dog has a different added meaning to it. Driving and picking up on a day where you don't really want to has a different meaning to it, right? So that can help too. So the next question is, how do you listen without fixing? And again, this is very different for every kid and different scenarios. In the like heat of my daughter having a really hard year two years ago, I guess it was a little more now, two and a half years ago, we danced together a lot. My son has always been a fan of the 90 second hug, which I think I was listening to Danielle Laporte on a podcast or something years ago. Like, I think he was like nine or 10 years old. He's now almost 20. And she said something about the 90 second hug. And I think he like literally counted ever since. So like, that's something that I know is a way to listen, to acknowledge that I've heard without words. It's like, you just hug. What you can also do is mirror what you see and hear. So if you feel like you have words that you need to say, like you need to talk, practice like understanding, practice repeating back what they said instead of creating meaning and wanting to create a solution, right? So you're just mirroring what they said. Oh, I hear you. You're feeling this, right? You could simply say, I hear you if that's enough. And notice when you're wanting to project, because you're not going to do it, because you're not going to open your mouth, right? But notice when you're wanting to project your fears or your own lived experience back on a kid, because often they bump into some of the same things we do, and they might not even be making the same meaning. So let's say, for example, you had an experience where you were bullied in high school. So it could be that your kid is experiencing that and then now you get to experience it together, it could be that they're experiencing something different and you're projecting that on them. And so just noticing when that happens and definitely hold back on it in the moment. And this is a great example of when the work really becomes ours, which I said at the beginning, because I often find that that's a good moment to go do my work, to go heal my wound. And then that enables me to come back and see in a different way. Does that make sense? And in order to do that, that takes usually support around that issue. Okay. I think that's what I've got to say on listening. So the second idea is this idea of presence, which served me so well. Just this idea of being present. I mean, it continues to serve me. I'm not going to lie. So we think that our teens want more independence and space from us than usually is what is actually happening. Teens need more emotional help than often they let on. And sometimes they let on and we're just not listening. So there was a study out of, I want to call it an institution, but it's like an association. It's out of Columbia University called CASA. And they study substance abuse. And they did a study where they interviewed and surveyed a whole bunch of teens in inner city, I think it was New York City, and asked them about you know, family dinner and how often it was happening and if they liked it and if they wanted it. And over 80% said they wanted to have more family dinners with their family. And none of the parents, like 
even understood that this was a thing because, you know, their kids didn't seem to be saying that in their words that they were using with them, right? So they took that to heart and took it personally. So the other thing about these years is that the brain is not fully developed until like the mid 20s, right? So there are pieces of the brain, especially the like the good decision making ones that literally aren't developed until I think it's like 23 in girls and 25 in boys, but don't take me for that. Definitely go research that if you want the exact number. So teens need guidance and support. And a lot of this has to do with the fact that like their hormones are raging, right? And they're really susceptible to stress a lot because of the hormones and a lot just because of the phase of life that they're in and what's going on. So you might ask, what can you do? And the answer is be present. And being present is different than the gesture of scheduling time to be with kids. Does that make sense? So it's about creating space so that you can be present, maybe when you're with them, but sometimes presence isn't even in their presence. That's a confusing way to say it. So trust that you know what your teen needs. Just like you knew when your infant was hungry. If you're having trouble figuring out what a kid need, I would like almost 99% of the time say it's probably because you're too busy. So presence needs pause. It needs space. If you're going from thing to thing to thing and then landing home at the end of the day and leaving early and not checking in, and maybe you're checking in via text, but like you're really busy, it's hard to see these things. Presence really needs time, okay? That's like the main thing. So here's some things that we can do to try to like get into that energy a little bit more, okay? We could make a meeting for later. So if you hear something, like instead of reacting immediately and talking, so if your teen tells you something and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to like deal with this right now but you're not emotionally present because you're thinking about the work project you're doing and something that just happened with a friend and blah, 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 and you're having a really hard time getting present, just schedule a time to talk about it later. Calm yourself down, listen, and you will respond better, okay? So you can do that like literally making a family meeting later or making, you know, just saying like, can we sit down two hours from now? Can we sit down at the end of the workday? Okay? Or sometimes it might not even be a question. I need us to sit down at the end of the workday. Okay? You can ask for a break. Imagine that you walk in the door and you're shuffling through the mail and the groceries and thinking about your day and your teen pounces on you <laughs> with a question, right? Because it's not always gentle. And you tell your kid that if you answer now, you're not going to give them the answer that is from your heart. Like, which, you know, maybe what they want to hear and what they don't want to hear. That's not the issue. The issue is that you won't know how to give them the right answer. And so let them know when you can respond. So it might look like I need to put the mail down, put my bag down, take a deep breath, think for a minute, and then I'm going to get back to you in like 20 minutes while I'm cooking dinner. So it doesn't have to be as formal as a meeting. It could be like, just give me 20 minutes. (laughs) And sometimes we need to walk away. So if you're feeling really heated or triggered or like you're just going to like yell and you have this inclination that you're right, but you might say the wrong thing, try walking kindly away to settle yourself and really get present. It's really about you at this point. It's not about whatever's happening around you. Just walk away. You don't even need to use words. 
right? You can just say, I will be right back. I just need to go recenter. And by saying that, you're teaching them and you're showing them what you're doing, which remember, they're still at the age where they're learning. So they're seeing you do this. This is very powerful because there's probably many instances in their life that you're not around and they need to do this too. All right. So be present, get calm, stay close so that you can offer that loving attention. And to be able to do this, I truly, truly believe that you need to take care of yourself, right? And that's the last strategy around being present, but it might be the most important. You really need to be able to take care of yourself to be able to implement any of these things because like we're being pushed a little, you know, we're being like prodded. And so sometimes you just need to figure out what you need in this season to take care of yourself. And this is really important, right? We're talking about being in a new season of motherhood. So I want you to think about like, I always like to think in seasons. We talk a lot about that around here because think of what season of self-care you're in. It might look different than it looked before, right? Before, when we're tired and we're depleted because we're running around after toddlers or running around to different after-school activities, like our feet are tired and a pedicure is self-care for sure because like we're being taken care of and rubbed. I mean, a pedicure is always self-care, but you might need more emotional self-care at this point. You might still get pedicures, but you might also need more emotional care. You might also need to figure out how to coach yourself, to be heard yourself, right? A lot of this, like wanting to talk back to a teen, sometimes we just need to figure out who we can talk to that's a different person. So what does self-care look for you right now? Meditation, by the way, was that year was when I really got back into my meditation practice and really let it lead me to presence. It was amazing and very important. Okay, number three, I've kind of alluded to this, but it is deal with your own stuff. So I believe that the work of mothering teens is ours. It's often that we make it about our kids, but it's just not about them. It's so easy to project when we're trying to listen to our kids. So If we can deal with those triggers and projections on our own time, we are better able to listen and be present, okay? So remember that your energy is transferable. This means that you need to tend to your nervous system. In Flow 365, we actually do this twice a month, and it's so such an amazing process. I do it very deliberately, and I actually started doing this during this time where my nervous system was being triggered, and I could see that that was happening, you know, because it was the middle of COVID. I could see that that was happening to everybody, and I also realized that this is always happening as we're changing. So COVID just happened to be a very big change for many of us at the same time. But because what we do in Flow 365 and at Plan Simple is that we're trying to help you make changes in new, aligned, more feminine ways, it is going to trigger your nervous system. So we always, always bring that in. Okay? So when you take time to center, you pass on your clear, grounded energy to your kids. Calming your nervous system means that you can approach everything in less of a frenzy. So if you tend to your nervous system first, you're way more likely to find solutions more quickly, with more ease, 
And when you make calls, because you still might have to make those calls, even though they're not what's going to come first, and do things you need to do for your kid, right? Because there's still going to be some of that, but it just makes it easier. It makes it more easeful, less frustrating, and it definitely makes it take I don't know why, but it makes it take less time. And I think it's just that our perceived idea of the time when we're really frenzied is different than our perceived time when we're not. So we do a lot of like real work with time when I'm working with clients, you know, and understanding how much time things are really taking. So I think a lot of this is perceived. But I also think when we're frustrated, it's energy. We're like passing it back and like the person on the other line might not be so helpful and we might not get to the next step. And so this part is really helpful even when it comes back to doing some of the things that we might need to do. Make sure to tap into your village. I feel like when our kids are little, we do this all the time. We do it very naturally, right? We join mom's groups. We talk to the people who are parents in our kids' classes. And there becomes this point when we stop doing that. And I think that this time more than ever is really important time to connect with people, with our village. And it's interesting because the village does not have to be the parents of the kids who your friends hangs out with. In fact, sometimes I think it's better if it's not. You want to be able to talk to people who really respect your stuff, even if their stuff is different and you can respect theirs. And, you know, you're both in this mutual area of like trying to listen and not fix together. Does that make sense? So your village really needs to be supportive of you. And the last thing that I want to mention in this area of dealing with our own stuff is that often, and we have an amazing episode by Anna Kabeca. We have another one by Amanda Hinman about hormones. And what I'll say is that I have found, and I No, I'm not the only one because I've talked to a lot of women in their 40s and 50s that our hormones are generally also flailing at a time when our kids are in a different way, right? So our kids are spiking and ours are dipping, but they're all a little bit wacky and like, you know, not baseline (laughs) at the same moment, right? So they're like, we're literally like clashing hormones. So understand what's happening to you and how you can work with the changes that are happening to you. And that can really affect how you show up as a mother as well. And you can work with them even if the energy and emotions are high or low, whatever, on both sides, like out of alignment on both sides, you know, with you and your kid. But that awareness is so, so helpful. All right, those are my three ideas. I can't wait to hear what you think about them. And what I want to close out with is some questions that you can start to contemplate on yourself. So as you're thinking about your role as mother now, I think it would be useful. And these are questions that I, I'm a big journaler, by the way. So if you're not a journaler and this doesn't resonate, let me say that first. You could, this might be something that you contemplate, that you sit with. Maybe you look at these questions before meditation and they're written out in the show notes, by the way. So here are the questions. Who are you releasing into the world? And if you're already have released them like physically, I still want you to ask this question because even if they're technically living outside of your house, they may not have like emotionally released themselves. Does that make sense? So who are you releasing into the world? What gift or gifts has this child given you? Who have they become while living with you so far or while being your child so far? if they don't live with you. 
What do they really, and I have like really in all caps, because this is a really important word for me, because I think sometimes we're not honest about some things. So what do they really need from you now to become that person? right? So this is the example of like, we try to do all these things. We try to be there for this weekend and do this thing and go on this trip. But like, what do they really need from you right now to become that person? And then what is the path to get there? So I would answer these questions for each person in your house, because the other thing we tend to do around motherhood is just call it motherhood and generalize it and think that we can do the same thing for each child. And though this is actually more true in the younger years, right? It's like, yes, we do have to change diapers and then potty train and then teach a kid how to ride a bike and then, you know, release kids into school. That starts to be different. But how are these questions different for each kid? This isn't a philosophy about you. Again, this is about them, right? And if we go back to that definition by my good friend and mentor, Syl, this is how you allow them to really become themselves. You free them to really become themselves. I can't wait to hear how it's going. I'm consistently thinking about how we can talk about this topic of motherhood at a different level than I think it's being talked about, right? Like, what does it really mean to be in this phase of motherhood? You know, what does it mean to be a mother to young adults? And I just think that at this particular time in life, we all get busy and our kids become more self-sufficient and we lose track of what it is that we're really wanting to do in this role. And so we're going to bring that back a little. And in doing that, it's going to get less frustrating and take up less mental load on you because you've thought about these things in advance. So you're not like a lot of times we get stuck in these loops of you know, just really thinking a lot about a situation with a kid and not being able to stop thinking about it. And if you think about a day and trying to concentrate on something else and thinking about this kid who's not even in the house, it can take a lot of space and time in your day. So that's why we're doing this. And because we want to do a great job and we love these kids. We love them no matter what they do. We love them so unconditionally and we want to do things different for them. And so this is about getting current and getting up to date and doing things and meeting them where they are. For any entrepreneurs in the house, I feel like it's like you do certain things in your business when you're making your first dollars. You do different things when you're trying to get to your first six figures. Then you do different things when you're trying to get to your first million. It's like the teenage years, I feel like, are the million dollar mark, right? It's just different. And sometimes we don't change to meet that. So now we're gonna. All right, I'll talk to y'all soon. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you know a woman who wants a little more simple and a lot more flow, share this episode and send them over to the Plan Simple website to download our free course. And if you can find a five minute window today between meetings in the carpool line while you're eating your lunch, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. This one action plays such a big part in helping other women find us. And I have so much gratitude for you in advance. So thank you so much. Until next week, dream big, plan from your heart and have a great day. 